Well, good morning. Welcome to the many of us join on site here and those who are joining us online as well. We're so glad you're with us as we continue walking through uh, this first letter, the very first letter Paul wrote to any of the churches, in this particular case, the first letter he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And we're coming to a section today where if you've actually not been with us for the last few weeks, you're always welcome to go back to our website and, and listen to the podcast or watch the series there. But if you haven't with us in the past, we come to a section today where Paul actually kind of recaps the nature of the problem that he's been talking about up to this point. And, and he kind of does so by painting a picture about a gap that exists. We're going to talk a lot about gaps today. He, he paints a picture of a gap that exists between where he is and where he wants to be, where he longs to be. You know, for example, you know, Paul is like the spiritual father of these believers in Thessalonica, and, and they're young in their faith, and so there's this gap, and he wants them to mature. He wants to bridge that gap so they can mature in their faith. As Paul writes this letter, he has been chased from Thessalonica to Athens. He has been chased 500 kilometers away to Athens while they remain in Thessalonica. That's like like if you're here at Edmonton and your beloved brothers and sisters in Christ are stuck in like Saskatoon in the heart of Ryder country. Like, that's chills. Now we can have people stuck in Ryder country. That's awful. But there's a gap that exists there. And and also Paul has found a place of safety in Athens, but he knows that the threats, the persecution, the battles continue in Thessalonica. And it's it's very hard for the people who are there, and it's hard for this gap to exist. And whenever these gaps come around, they they tend to create the sense of longing. And and he feels this longing inside of him that somehow he wants to bridge these gaps, but he can't. He's not able to. You know, as I talk about this word gaps and kind of describe the, the picture that, that Paul paints at the start of this passage here, perhaps it takes your mind to a gap that you've experienced of some form, perhaps in your life at some point, or, or the story of somebody that you've heard at some point in your life, where we see other people. I, I know I've experienced these many, many different times, many, many different ways, because there's different types and different situations in which these gaps can exist. You know, there's one that I increasingly have, and, and it, it actually takes place in my own home. Where as my kids get a little older and they continually get older and they're, they're at the point of being young adults and adults who are getting married and having grandkids and moving out, it's, it, there's this gap that continues to grow where I, I don't know why. Somewhere along the line, they, they seem to forget how funny I am. And, and they, just, they just don't laugh anymore. When I, when I tell my wonderful jokes around the dinner table, it's, it's gone from laughter to eye rolling. And, and I'm hoping for a second chance with my granddaughter Lydia. She still thinks Grandpa's hilarious, which is great. And I'm glad we don't have that gap, do we? We don't have that gap here. So, uh, but seriously, these, these gaps can exist all sorts of areas of our lives. Stories that we hear from other people's lives, too, that we care about. And when we hear about the gaps, it creates this burden. This burden that we, we feel like we need to bear. And they have different types. Like, for example, we heard about this earthquake that took place in Turkey. And these heartbreaking stories where we know that there are people who survived the earthquake and they're at the edge of this rubble and they can hear the voice of their loved ones from within inside, but there's this gap, there's this physical gap that no matter how much they want to bridge that, it keeps them from reaching that, from bridging it. We have these physical gaps in our lives. Maybe you're at a stage of life where you have an aging parent and as your parent's age increases, their health decreases, but they live in a different city. 
And so you go there on the weekends to, to offer care and support. But Monday to Friday, you're back home because you've got to go to work. And you've got to look after the kids. And you've got to take care of those responsibilities. And there's this geographical gap that exists. As the kids get older, they go from being kids to teens to young adults. And, and in that process, they're going through a series of, of changing where they're, they're starting to own their faith. They ask questions. And, but for sometimes those questions turn to doubts and the doubts lead to an abandonment and you're not really sure where they are anymore and there's like this spiritual gap that exists between you and your your kids or 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 maybe you or somebody you know has found yourself at a point where one spouse has has lost that loving feeling as the righteous brothers would refer to it but you haven't and there's this relational gap that exists as I give these real-life examples, these real-life stories that people experience, we, we get the sense that gaps are hard, aren't they? These gaps in our lives are hard. They put us in a place where we have this sense of absence. There's this longing to reconnect in some fashion, but the gap exists. And as we come to the end of the first half of Paul's letter here, he feels that there's this geographical gap, there's this spiritual gap, there's this relational gap that he has. And, and so he pens the words of this section expressing, number one, his desire to overcome that somehow. But not only overcome that, he, he not only expresses his desire to overcome it, he also expresses his belief and his faith and his confidence that God can and that God will. Because he knows that to be present with his loved ones, to be present, to bridge that gap would be great. But he knows that God is present in the gap, and that is greater. Let me say it again. If we have the ability to bridge the gap, it would be great. But the fact that God is already in the gap is greater. Amen? Whatever that gap may be in your life, to know that God is in the gap is greater than anything we could possibly muster on our own by bridging it ourselves. And so as we look at this passage today, Found in, in 1 Thessalonians, uh, picking up where we left off last week. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. If you, if you want, you can turn your Bibles there. You can find it in the sermon notes through the pew portal. If you want to use the pew Bible, it's found on page, I think it's 956. And as we turn to this section of Scripture, Paul reveals a few things to us. He, he reveals that there's ways that we can watch for God's presence. There's ways that we can watch as God moves in these gaps. And, and as we see this, it can lead us to the point where we can, number one, acknowledge that the gap exists. Because sometimes, sometimes we live in denial. But it can lead us to the point of acknowledging the gap exists. And that while it may be beyond us to change and overcome, it's never beyond him. And when we come to acknowledge that, it leads us to a point where we can have faith that he can do what we cannot and he can move where we cannot. And if we can come to find faith in God in that way, we go from acknowledging to faith to rest. Not inactivity, because we still have a role to play. But rest in the confidence that as we live in the gaps, God will bridge those gaps through his power and presence. So let's have a look at what this looks like in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. See, Paul begins here by, by assuring the Thessalonians that, that while being in the gap is hard, it is by no means the end of the story. And he says this, beginning in verse 17, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, in person but not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to come see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I did. Paul, 
Paul, I'm writing this in my own hand. I did again and again want to come see you, and I tried, but, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown of which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. Now, some people back in Thessalonica may have thought Paul had just simply abandoned them. That things got a little hot and he took off down the road. But he, he wants them to know that was not his choice. That was not something that he chose. It was something that happened to them. And he intentionally uses this word orphaned at the very beginning. And if you think about what an orphan is, an orphan does not choose to be without parents. That's not something they choose for themselves. And an orphan has something that was done to them that led to a separation, that led to a gap. And the separation that Paul and this church is experiencing is not something that either of them wanted, and yet it's where they find themselves. Now, I think about this idea of being separated, and my mind goes back to when I was just a little guy. I used to go shopping with my parents, my mom in particular, at, uh, at Woodward's. Remember Woodward's? Yeah, some of you don't, but <laughs> some of us remember Woodward's, right? And we would go to the clothing section, and I was like five, so I was just like bored looking at clothes. And so what I would do is I would go hide in the clothing racks, those big round racks full of clothes. I would hide in the middle, which is okay when you're five. When, when you're older than five, it's a little creepy. But, but when you're five, you can hide in the clothing racks, right? And I would do that, and I would just try to entertain myself. And eventually, though, I'd be lost. My, my parents would move on, and I would come to the realization I'm all alone. And I would feel that fear and that panic start to set in. And I'd start thinking in my five-year-old brain, I'm never going to see them again. I'm, I'm an orphan. And I, I'd, start, I'd start crying. And the nice sales lady would come by and she was like, hey, Mark, did you lose your parents again? And then <laughs> she, she'd take it back to them. But the separation, in that moment, I felt that separation. I'm like, this isn't what I want. This isn't what I, I want to overcome this somehow, and my parents did manage to overcome it. They, it was the 70s, and so they, they bought me like a harness and a leash. You can't do it nowadays, but I used to get a harness and a leash until I learned how to do that. But anyways, I had this season of being orphaned and then you know, reunited in this great joy. See, Paul is saying here is this wasn't my choice. There's something I wanted to overcome, but in the midst, there's this longing. There's, you know the saying, absence makes the heart grow Fonder, right? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. He's experiencing that. He's living that. And he, he, it's being proven true here. He wants to see them, but he still loves them. He still cares for them. Nothing will make him happier than to be with them again. But what does he say? He says, what happens? It's not that he doesn't want to. He says, Satan has blocked the way. That's a strong saying. We don't know exactly what he's talking about here because we're not given any details as to how Satan may have blocked his way. And it could just be sort of a figure of speech that he's using here. Or, or there may be very much, you know, situations that have come up. He, he doesn't really tell us. But, but we do, regardless if it's a figure of speech or, or if, it's, if it's a literal situation he found himself in, there's truth in that statement, isn't there? Ephesians 6, another letter that Paul would write to the church in Ephesus. He says this in Ephesians 6. He says, for our struggle, our true struggle, our battle, is not against flesh and blood. But it is against the rulers, against the authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That is the nature of the battle that he's kind of referring to here. Now, that doesn't mean that every bad thing that happens is a spiritual attack against you. Satan didn't make me go hide in the clothing rack. But that was me. That was my choice. Sometimes stuff happens. Sometimes we reap the consequences of our own choices and stuff happens. And if you want to blame Satan for that, he's more than happy to take full credit. 
that's maybe not the true situation going on. But that being said, we do have a very real adversary who cheers for the flames. See? Thank you. We have the gap. There's no gap, right? We laugh. He cheers for the flame. You can't trust anyone who cheers for the flames. Can't trust him because his activity is to thwart God's purposes. His, his activity is to not just thwart God's purposes, but to destroy God's people, the relationship that we have with God. And you know one of his best tactics is? You know one of the most effective tactics that he will use against you is to make you feel isolated. To make you feel like you are all alone, like, like nobody's here. To make you feel like I'm a failure, nobody cares. To make you feel like you have been orphaned by God and by God's people. And if you've ever found yourself where your mind goes there and you start thinking, I'm all alone and nobody cares. I'm isolated. It starts to play with our thoughts and these fears come in. And where does it end? It, it ends, we've, we've done this, haven't we? It ends with the sense of hopelessness and, and, and failure and I guess i got to go it alone then. And so often those thoughts go to playing the what if game, don't they? What if I'm not there this gap exists. What, what if I'm not there and something happens? What, what, if, what if I could have helped? What if they could have encouraged me? What if, what if, what if I could have protected them from that? What if I, oh, if I could have just given them a hug? See, being apart is hard. Having these gaps is hard. And Satan loves to keep you down. But what do we, what do we learn in this section? He loves to keep you down, but it is not the end, and we are not defeated. You see, in faith, Paul looks forward. He looks across the gap. Paul looks forward beyond that to the day when his joy will be made complete, he says at the end of this passage. He says, he says we were separated from you for a short time, in person, but not in thought. And then verse 19, he says, for what is our hope? What is our joy? What is the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes back? Is it not you? See, he's using this common analogy that, that shows up a number of times in the New Testament of, of receiving a crown of glory at the finish line. It's like this race. We're running a race where you receive the winner's prize at the end. And Paul longs to see the Thessalonians again. And he knows that while they're separated in this gap, that there's this difficult leg of the race they're running through persecution and through trial. But he knows they're not going to quit. And he knows that, that, that he will continue to do his part by praying for them and by cheering them on from the sidelines and Satan's going to try. He's going to try and make them believe that it's over. He's going to try and make them believe that it's not worth it. He's going to make Paul believe if only you were there, maybe they would be able to do it. But they're not, so they can't. But Satan's a liar. He's a liar, and we don't place our faith in him. We place our faith in God who stands in the gap. And because of that, we can say that we are pressed, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We may be down, but we are not out. We do not lose heart because we present afflictions. The present gap in which we may find ourselves in is nothing. It produces within us a hope of the eternal glory. And so that is what we fix our eyes upon because of him who stands in the gap. You see, when we experience these in our lives, they're hard. There are Paul's talking about one he's in. You might be thinking of one that you have been in, a physical one, an emotional one, a relational one, a spiritual gap that you may have found yourself in. They're hard. But regardless of what your enemy says, regardless of what your thoughts may tell you, we are not defeated because that is not the end of the story. And Paul continues his story. 
in chapter 3 now as he continues to build upon this. And he states the encouraging path forward for us. Because he says, I, I may not be able to, to come to you myself. I may be stuck in Athens, not able to get to Thessalonica. But the Christian life is a team sport. And he explains that by saying this in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Where he says, so when I could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. And so we sent Timothy who is our brother. He's our co-worker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he is being sent to you to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith so that no one will be unsettled by these trials. For we know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. And for this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that your labors may have been in vain. Paul probably tried to return a few times, but you know, Paul's known. He, he's known throughout this whole region. And he, he's like a lightning rod of attention and, and, and persecution. And you know, he's, he's been pushed 500 kilometers away from Thessalonica. And if he tries going back, there's some towns along the way that already kicked him out once and, and they know him. He's like this lightning rod of attention, but not Timothy. See, Timothy was a lot younger. Timothy was sort of uh, unassuming. He was known as a, as a colleague of Paul's, but, but he's this young, unassuming guy. You wouldn't expect too much of him, and you wouldn't really see the young guy as a threat, would you? But Paul knows he's very, very capable. And Paul views him, he even says in this passage, he views him as a co-worker. He, he sees him as like an equal in this ministry. He's a peer and so he sends Timothy, whose, whose purpose is to strengthen and to encourage the faith of the church while they're enduring this persecution. But what does that word strength mean? See, if we, the word strength that's used here is actually a, a, it can be translated to the word uh, buttress. Now, it's not a word we use in our language too often, but you may have heard that word buttress before. What a buttress is, is an, is an architectural term about a, a structure that supports a wall. And makes it strong. You see, it reinforces a wall so that it's able to withstand pressures that come against it. And if it wasn't buttressed, it would, it would just fall. Because it wouldn't be able to withstand the pressure. So you build a wall against it and that strengthens the wall and allows it to endure. You've probably seen these in architecture at different places. Especially if you travel Europe one night. You've seen these buildings that are buttressed with these buttresses that are on there. But we see example of this within relationships and within people as well, where there's people who come along to spiritually strengthen us, who, who come along to spiritually kind of buttress us to keep us, from sta- to, to keep us standing, to keep us from like, like falling if the pressures of this world were to knock us down. And we actually see one beautiful example of this in Exodus chapter 17. And this might be a story you're familiar with. You can read the whole story later if you like. But just to give you a summary of it, this takes place when Israel has left their, their time of slavery in Egypt, and they're just in the wilderness for a short time at this point. Exodus 17. And the Amalekites come to attack them. Now, the nation of Israel at this point is, is many, many people. There are large, numerous people. But remember, they've been slaves for 400 years. They have no military strength. They have no experience. They have no idea how to fight back because for 400 years they've been slaves. But they have to defend themselves. And so Moses goes to Joshua and says, Joshua, find the strongest men you can, select them, and go out to fight. 
Meanwhile, Moses and Aaron and a guy named Hur go up a hill to overlook the battle. And you might remember the story. This is a story where, where as long as Moses' hands and his staff are out to the side, they're winning the battle. But as soon as his hands start to drop, the Amalekites start to win the battle. Now, how long do you think you could stand like this? Staff in your hands. It's probably about five-pound staff. Imagine you have five-pound weights in your hands. How long do you think you could stand like this for? A minute? Probably longer. Maybe five minutes? You think you'd get to ten, maybe half hour maybe? Maybe half hour would actually be pretty good. Five-pound weights. That's like actually getting near to the world record if you could do that. And you, partway through this, you would start to feel like you're on Survivor. Like this is one of those immunity challenges. You've got to hold the weights to your side. But, you know, it, it, you hold your hands out for a while. And after not long, you start to, your muscles start to let you know, hey, it's going to get heavy. It's going to get hard. You're, you're going to get tired. Your, your hands are going to drop. Even, even right now, I, I can start to feel it a bit. I'm not ready to drop my hands yet, but my muscles are starting to tell me, we don't like this. And you will eventually have to stop doing this. But Aaron and her came, and they stood under his arms. They gave him a rock to sit on. So they sat on these rocks, and he put his hands on their shoulders, and they buttressed his arms. And he was able to sit there all day, all day while they fought the battle. They fought that battle. The arms did not fall, and they won the battle. Now we know that being a Christian does not guarantee us a problem-free life by any means, does it? We know trials are going to come. We're actually told the exact opposite will happen of the problem-free life. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter talks about this. He says, Dear friends, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeals that have come your way as though something strange were happening to you. Jesus promised that this would happen. He said, if the world hates me, they're going to hate you. If they hate what I stand for, they're going to hate what you stand for. And so Peter is telling history, hey, don't be surprised. When you stand for Christ, that the world stands against you. And he goes on to say in, in, in 1 Peter, that these have come so that the genuineness of your faith may result in praise and in glory and in honor. See, trials are part of life, whether you're a Christian or not, but especially if you're a Christian. Because if you're a follower of Christ, you will live and you will act and you will view the world differently than other people do. And it creates a bit of a divide. And the world doesn't always like that divide, does it? But see, even when, we, even when we live those differences out in love and in grace, there are some who aren't going to like it and will come in opposition to it. Sometimes the opposition will show up in the form of just like social pressure, where people will come and be like, you, you, really, you really believe that? You, you're really not going to do that? Come on, it doesn't matter. It just, just, it, it'd be kind of weird if you didn't come with us and just kind of spend, the, you know, just hang out with us for the night. So, sometimes there's that social pressure to conform to say, no, you don't need to stand for that. Just come stand with us. Just, just be one of, the, one of the group. Sometimes it's as subtle and common as that. Other times it's much more aggressive. And you'll actually feel attacked. And you'll actually feel like you're not only attacked but excluded. And kept out because of the differences. I, I came across a story of a, another pastor who lives south of, a little way south of here who, who went to work with one of his congregants on a farm and, and the job that day was to unload 45,000 chicks. Now, I imagine that is a noisy, smelly job. 45,000 little baby chickens. And as they're, as they're doing this and they're unloading them into this large area, 
he said he, he, he emptied one of the, one of the kind of the, they're in these boxes, he kind of empties this box out and they go into the ground and run away. He knows there's one that had a black spot on it. And he goes, oh, look, that one's different. And, and the farmer, and maybe if some of you have been around chickens or have been around this type of farm before, he said, oh, that one has a mark of death on it, he called it. I, I guess, I'm, I'm not a farmer, but I guess that's something that they refer to this as. Is it's got a mark of death on it. Because these chickens do not like anything different. They will not tolerate any variety within the group. And all the other chickens will go and they will peck that black spot until either they peck all those feathers off or they kill the chicken. You know, at times we have to face temptations and trials. And it's so much easier when we have people around us who are with us and for us and support us and buttress us. That's, that's why it's so important to have a church family. To have a, a Christian community around us who encourages us and does that supporting. And they can come together here and we can, we can heal up together. We can, we can train each other. We can equip each other. And we can go out and we can be encouraged and supported. Because remember, the Christian life is a team sport. It's not meant to be done on its own. And we need others to strengthen us and to encourage us. And when that happens, it can lead us from not just being pecked at by the world, but it can lead us to praising God for the endurance and the strength and longevity that we have in the world. You see, nothing will make Satan happier than to undo what Paul had started in Thessalonica. That's what he says at the end of this passage. Nothing will make him happier than to undo what Paul had started. Nothing will make Satan happier than to undo what is happening at West Meadows. Nothing will make him happier than to undo your faith, whether it is a new faith that is just starting to spring up or if you've had it for a generation. Nothing will make him happier to undo that, to, to single you out with that little mark of death where the world just pecks away at your faith until you abandon it or until it dies. But with the help of others, with the church community around us, God can provide those Timothys. He can send the Timothys alongside us. And when that happens and we feel strengthened and buttressed and encouraged by being in Christian community, all of a sudden, our faith that goes through the fire emerges more pure and more resilient and more genuine. And not only are we strengthened and encouraged by that, but then we go forward to be a strength and to be an encouragement to others in which we're in community. You see, one of the reasons that it's important to be part of a church family, a church like here at West Meadows, is because trials will come our way. Gaps will exist in our lives. But, remember, we are not defeated and we have a team that stands with us. And in time, Paul believed this and, and, and pressed it forward with sending Timothy. And in time, Paul's prayers and his faith were rewarded. We see in this next section that he reaps the rewards of this. As he himself is encouraged and he himself is led to praising God through thankfulness. You see, none of these things we talked about remove the gap. You know, this isn't three steps to removing the gap. The gap was still there in Paul's life. The, the, the challenge and the trials and the persecution had not ended. Paul was not able to get back to Thessalonica. But Timothy returns, and he brings a good report. And when he brings this good report, it moves Paul to this absolute beautiful moment of, of just affirming God's goodness. And, and here's what he says uh, in verse 6 through 10. He says, but, so it feels like it's a bit of a fast forward here because he just sent Timothy, now verse 10, Timothy's back. But Timothy has just now come from you and he has brought us this good news about your faith and your love. And he's, he's told us that you always have pleasant memories of us. 
and that you long to see us too, just as we long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all of our distress and in all the persecutions, we are encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you? How can we thank him enough for you in return for all of the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we would see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Throughout this passage, Paul has kind of had this mixed sense of emotions. Right? There's the fear, but there's the trust. There's the, there's the concern, but there's the faith as well. And here you can start to feel Paul's joy and his, his thankfulness and his hope begin to overflow to the point where he just like, it like, it compels him to start writing. He, you almost get the sense where he hears Timothy's report, and as soon as Timothy's done talking, Paul's like, pen on paper, I just got to respond. I got to express this. I got to get this back. Uh, maybe you've received emails like that at some point where it comes through and, and the content of the email just like hits you emotionally where you just have to fire back. Happens on negative ones, doesn't it, when you get those bad emails? You're like, I'm going to tell them, right? Early in my time being a pastor, I had to learn not to do that because it creates work for yourself when you, when you do that. <laughs> but, but this is like that, but on the positive side. This is like that, but when there's joy that just needs to be expressed because of the report, where there's, there's thankfulness because of God, how good God is and the movement that he's done, and there's this love for the Thessalonians that just demands expression. And so he's moved to immediately write, Timothy just got here. He just told me, and I've got to respond. And it's so cool if you, if you look at this. Because so often we view the flow of those things from kind of top down, don't we? There's, a, there's kind of the love and the support and the encouragement. It, it, it goes from the top down where it starts with God and then it kind of flows to the more mature spiritual parent right down into then the children that they're trying to raise up. Well, we actually see that flipped a little bit here, which is such a beautiful thing, where, where it still starts with God, who is the source of, of, of that love and that hope and that faith. God is still the source, but it's flowing to the Thessalonians, and he's sustaining, and, and he's growing them, and they're now giving it to Paul. And so Paul is not only the one who's, who's encouraging and strengthening downwards, but he's receiving it too. It's, it's one of these beautiful things where when we have this relationship, we have this community, where we have this, this kind of team atmosphere within the church, it's not just a one-way thing. It, there's, it's a two-way road where we can share a good word and be encouraged as we receive that. And we can give of ourselves to strengthen others as they give back to us, especially when these gaps exist. See, Paul is, is responding in thankfulness here, but he, he's not giving glory to Timothy. As, as wonderful a job as Timothy did, he, he's not resting in his own, <sighs> nailed it, got another one. He's not looking to himself, even though he had a part in it. He's looking to back to the source, saying, all glory, all honor, all praise goes to God. The work in their lives that I'm being encouraged by, the work in my life that I'm trying to sustain them by, it all, all glory goes to God. And so he says, brothers and sisters, in all of our distress, all of our persecutions, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. We were encouraged because of your faith. How can we ever thank God enough? How can we ever give enough praise to God, give glory to God for you in turn for all the joy that we're experiencing? The gap still exists. The persecution is still happening. But he finds himself in a place of encouragement and thankfulness still amidst all of that because God is in the gap. See, this is one of the great things that we can do when we're in community is that we can, we can connect with each other 
and send these messages to each other of, of updates and encouragement. And it's never been easier in today's world with all the technology we have, whether it's somebody who's here and you know, on the other side of the world or if you're across a pew from each other. We can stay in contact with each other and share these stories. We, we see this happen in our life groups where people within the congregation come together on a regular basis and they, and they authentically connect their lives. They, they tell about the challenges and the victories and the struggles and the fears they have going into the week ahead and, and the, the group sits and listens. And, and they can't change it. Like if you're going into a week where you've got you to gotta have a bad meeting with your boss, your small group can't change that. But by sharing it, you can feel a sense of encouragement, support. They, they can pray for you. They can, they can talk to you before and after and offer you that kind of buttressing saying, hey, we're with you when you go in and we're with you on the other side. We'll strengthen you. Small groups can do that. When we get updates from the mission field, when, you know, for example, when Greg Musselman comes by and, and he, he shares what's happening around the world in the persecuted church, it's hard to hear about these gaps that exist between, you know, geographically where we are and where he travels to. It's hard to hear about the freedoms we have and other places don't and, and the persecution that comes from it. But when, when he shares those stories, as hard and difficult as they are, and we, we can't solve all of those from here, but aren't we encouraged when we hear that God is moving in the midst of it? That God is there and good things are happening. People are coming to faith and overcoming and enduring. Isn't that encouraging to hear those stories? Even our own missionaries, you may not know this, but here at West Meadows, we... we we support 23 missionaries and seven organizations around the world. And so we have a lot of these gaps, you know, you know, physical and geographical gaps between us and our missionaries. There's cultural gaps that exist from what they're experiencing and what we experience. There's relational gaps because we don't know them as well as we would like to, but because of where they are, we are not able to. And yet we have a global missions team who wants to help you receive these updates so that you can be encouraged. You know, the Globe Missions team, uh, once a month in the weekly newsletter, will put a highlight to let you know about one of our missionaries and what they're experiencing right now. Uh, also, once a month, they will hold an online meeting with one of our missionary families or one of our missionaries so that you can, just, you can come and log in to this meeting. And wherever that missionary is in the world, they'll share a devotion with you. And they'll, they'll share with you what's happened in their lives, the challenges and the victories. And we can therefore learn but how do we pray for them and how can we support them? But also be encouraged by them because they're experiencing the incredible movements of God that we may not experience here. And so there's these updates in the weekly. There's these online monthly meetings that happen with our missionaries. We've got a new missions board we're going to put out in the foyer here in, in, the, in the coming weeks that will help you stay more connected and get these updates. There's newsletters that come out that you can sign up for. You know, this isn't just a plug for missions. This is just to help you know that there are ways that we can receive incredible encouragement from those who are in other parts of the world and not just so that we can know how better to pray and support them so we can actually be encouraged by them if you want to know more about that you can talk to pastor athena she she lives and breathes this this type of stuff and with that encouragement that's why paul says in verse 10 he says night and day we prayed earnestly for you asking god if he would fill the gaps in such incredible ways and that's actually how paul ends this section that's how we'll end our time here today too with a prayer for the brothers and sisters who are far away. You see, we find ourselves in these gaps. When, when Paul found himself in this gap, he felt powerless. But then he remembered, I can pray. You see, prayer is not the, well, all we have left to do is pray. It's not the last resort. Prayer is our first course of action. And so he prays for them. And he prays with this faith, hope, and love. He prays for his brothers and sisters who are far away from him. 
And as he does so, the first thing he prays for is that he wants to affirm that even though that they are physically apart, even though this gap exists of that type, they are still one in faith in Jesus Christ when he says this in verse 13. Or sorry, verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ make a way for us to come see you. May our God, may our faith, may our hope make a way, he prays. See, he desires to be with them. But he also is submissive to God's power and God's will for this. God, why can't you just remove it? Why can't you just make it happen? Why can't you just take me there? Why can't you just allow this relationship to be healed? Why, why can't you just allow them to b- believe? The gap still exists, and he's submissive to God's will and power in this. And he makes a statement of faith. Is that while being apart is hard, it is not the end, nor is it our defeat. Because he reminds them that while his presence might be removed from them, his love for them is still strong, and God is there with them. And he continues in verse 12, reminding them of this, by saying, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. God was still present there. He was still ministering to them through the ministry of others, through Timothy and so many others who would encourage them in this difficult time. And they were experiencing love, and they were growing in faith. Because our loving God will bring others around us when we need them. He will bring others around Paul, around the Thessalonians, around you. When you find yourself in these difficult times, because it's a team sport that we find ourselves in. And this love of God that we can experience and that we can share in, that strengthens us and encourages us, does not just stay with us. It overflows from us. It can overflow from us to encourage and strengthen others. And he says this then in verse 13. As he encourages them to know that this is not the end. That even though there may be tough times ahead, he says, May he strengthen you in your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. When he says that they'd be blameless, he's not saying they're going to live sinless lives. Sinless, problem-free lives is not what he's asking for here. He's saying, but, but because of Jesus, we can be seen as forgiven. We can be seen as blameless and holy as we enter into eternity. And even though in that moment and in that day they stand in the gap of their lives, and maybe you find yourself in one today as we've been talking about this, you're like, no, I think... There's a gap in my life, whether it's a, you know, physical or relational, emotionally, even, even health-wise. You may find yourself in that situation too, whatever the type may be. And, and I hope there's encouragement for you in this from what Paul has shared. That we can watch for God's presence and movement in the midst of those gaps. And when we do, he leads us, number one, to acknowledge the reality that it's there. And that maybe there's parts of it that are beyond our ability to change. But that it's never beyond God's ability to move and to change and to deal with. And when we acknowledge that, it can then take us to this place of faith where we know that he can do what we cannot and he can move where we cannot. And so we place our faith in him, which then puts us in a moment of choice. Will we retain our need to control, try and do it ourselves, or will we be free to release control, understanding that he has never stopped being the sovereign ruler of all things? And when we put our trust and our faith in him, it then leads us to the moment of rest. Confident that as we live in the gap, that he will bridge the gap. And that he will see us through until we stand one day with him in eternity. I invite you to pray with me as we close. Heavenly Father, 
Each season of life we go through, we know that you have a perfect provision and a perfect will and that you're not unaware of anything happening in anyone's life here today. Lord, those who are going through a season of, of challenge where they might feel some form of gap that exists, I pray that they would be able to see you in the midst of it. That they would know that you are with them and that you are for them and that you have a plan to bring other brothers and sisters around them, to bring the power of your Holy Spirit to them, and that you will strengthen them, that you will encourage them in the midst of that. I, I pray, Lord, that you would also use us as encouragers and you would use us as those who strengthen, who buttress other followers of Christ in their challenging times. Not so that we would receive the praise and the honor, but so that you would receive all glory, that you would receive all praise, and we would simply receive the joy that comes from seeing you move in the midst of these difficult times. But I pray you'd be with us and that we would have, we'd be mindful of your words when it says, be still and know that I am God. And that we would know that being still does not mean that we stop doing our part. It means that we stop striving to do it all ourselves, but we simply rest in your power. We rest in the understanding that you are present and that you are moving and that you will see us through to that day when we all stand in your glory, receiving that crown of glory that are for those who have finished the race. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, who we believe to be your Son and our Savior. Amen.